This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have two guests, and I'm very excited about our topic. We're going to talk about how, when, and why the use of meditation, yoga, and body work and body-based meditation in the treatment of addictive disorders. So with me today is a favorite of the show, Miss Alice Wellens. Um, she is a licensed clinical social worker, has a practice here in the Atlanta area. She works with um, all ages and um, works with individuals and families and couples. Not always related to addiction, but certainly addiction is a big part of the practice um, that she um, has here in Atlanta. So thank you for being here, Alice. I'm thrilled to be back. And we have another special guest, uh, Lena Franklin. She is also a licensed clinical social worker and has a practice in Atlanta as well. Uh, she works, again, with most ages and a variety of diagnoses, including addiction, trauma, grief, loss, um, depression, and other kinds of issues. Uh, I forgot to ask you, do you work with uh, couples as well as individuals, or are you primary individual? Primarily individuals, but some premarital counseling. Awesome. And thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I think this is such a great topic, and we've gotten some really good feedback from other shows that have been somewhat like this. So I think it's um, something that people are looking forward to. I think so many times people assume that um, they're going to go see a doctor or a therapist and they're going to get the magic answer. <laughs> and here's the one thing to do, and we're going to do it to you. We're going to hypnotize you. We're going to give you a pill. And in the process of doing that, we're going to make you better. But I think the idea that any kind of change and healing is a joint venture between the person who is suffering and the person who is providing, as I say, the flashlight to, to show the way of where That's we're going to go. One. But um, the idea that there are some skills and techniques that regardless of your orientation or your religious background or your uh, cultural background, there are some skills inherent in these different practices that can be very helpful, not just for helping someone with addiction, but helping people who have anxiety or trouble sleeping, difficulty with energy, those sorts of things. So I'm so glad you're here. We're thrilled to be here. We are so excited to share with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Alice, why don't you give us a definition of how you would see addiction and um, mindfulness practice? Okay, so I, I was thinking that the first thing we should probably do is start out with a working definition of addiction and um, one of many working definitions of mindfulness so we can start to see how they're integrated um, together and how they will work together going forward. And I, I really like how you added in that these modalities are also really good for depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, um, grief, anything mm -hmm. that, any place where there's some type of healing that, you know, is ready to happen. So um, most people take their nod for the working definition of addiction from ASAM, the American Society for Addiction Medicine. 
So I'm going to read that definition first, and then we'll read a mindfulness one. And hopefully it's the short one. I got the short the one. the long one is about three pages single yeah. space. <laughs> of course, I wanted to get the long one, but as I continued <laughs> to scroll down, I thought, I'll stick with the short one. Go with the short one. <laughs> the show's not that long. Although you probably wrote the long one because, you know, you have all that information swirling in there. Um, Okay, addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. Dysfunction in these circuits leads to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. This is reflected in an individual pathologically pursuing reward or relief by substance use and other behaviors. So we can stop there for, for now. What I really like about that definition is the word primary comes before chronic disease of the brain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are not in the dark ages anymore. This is a medical model. This is a medical condition. And that really helps with shame reduction. Yes. And Mm -hmm. then that once the shame can start to get reduced and worked with, that you know, you open up, the fear body can start to relax, our prefrontal cortex can come back online, and we can start to think about, okay, what what do I need to do to treat this? I like the, the <coughs> idea that it's a primary disease. Mm-hmm. This is a discussion that I often have with psychiatrist colleagues of mine who still want to think of addiction as being a Uh, a problem, a poor coping skill. So Mm -hmm. someone's depressed or they're anxious, and so they're using substances to cope. And if we could just treat their depression or figure out how to help them be less anxious, then we wouldn't have to worry about um, the situation of them using substances. But we know that while depression, anxiety, trauma certainly affect and complicate the treatment of addiction, it's a primary brain disease. It is into and of itself. That's right. Plenty of people have trauma, don't have addiction. Plenty of people have depression, anxiety, don't have addiction. So I really like that they've used that word first. I do too. And and I think that just again that gives the nod, you know, to everybody mm-hmm. of this is how we're all progressing. And it's mm-hmm. a process, you know, it takes some people longer than others. What I also really like about this this definition is it uses the word spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes the bridge that we're going to talk about today is the biological medical piece and the spiritual manifestation of it. So um, when you talk about mindfulness and and body-based modality practices like yoga or tapping um, or Reiki or anything like that, we're all talking about how you can tap into what the body is feeling and what it needs to do to um, kind of resource to self-soothe and protect itself because that's what the, the substances are doing or they're trying to soothe something, you know, that's hurting. So... That's kind of the working definition of addiction. The mindfulness definition that I like to use the most is John Kabat-Zinn's definition. He is sort of the um, current leader in, in talking about mindfulness. He has the Mindfully Based Stress Reduction 8-Week Course that has really jumped off. Lots of people are taking that. Um, and then there are lots of um, different versions of it. There's mindfully based relapse prevention, which is largely based on the mindfully based stress reduction in BSR course. 
And his definition is mindfulness is awareness that rises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So that's kind of what I think about when I'm thinking about addiction, mindfulness, and some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I love the non-judgmental piece because that is such a key part of the mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It is a practice. Yeah. And I love how John Kabat-Zinn's really shared uh, the transformative benefits of mindfulness here, especially in the West, since it does stem from Eastern tradition and Eastern philosophy. Yeah. The cool thing about John Kabat-Zinn is he, this, all this came out of his work with patients who had um, mm-hmm. uh, a skin condition. I want to say cirrhosis, but that's the liver psoriasis. Psoriasis, yes, yes. and mm-hmm. and helping them treat that, you mm-hmm. know, it, through the medical system, and then it just sort of evolved from there. So it really does have its roots in a medical mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. with also a sort of spiritual, emotional piece. So that's kind of where what what I think about when I think about the foundation from which all the other work comes. And we could also add some attachment stuff in there, but you could listen to our podcast for March and hear all the attachment discussions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we have gotten CEU approval. We did, mm-hmm. uh, I, I meant to mention that at mm-hmm. the beginning of the show. Um, Alice did some great work um, making sure that we got credits. So okay. if you are uh, someone in need of continuing education units, you can uh, check out the March shows and there are CEU credits mm-hmm. that can be obtained for listening to those shows and taking a brief test. Right. It's And you can get one, two, three, or four. And if you go to my website, which is alicewellens.com, A-L-Y-C-E-W-E-L-L-O-N-S.com, um, under... Um, mm, a tab. Media. Under media. Thank you, Lena. <laughs> Lena knows my website. <laughs> I really depend on Lena for all things social networking. Um, you'll see that the podcasts are there, and you can contact me about getting the CEUs, or you can contact Dr. Mm-hmm. Susan Blank at Atlanta Healing Center, and they can lead you from that direction, too. So one of the things that I would like to ask the two of you is, in your practice, um, and we, we're going to use practice in so many different ways. I was just realizing <laughs> this is going to get confusing. <laughs> but in your in your work with um, with individuals and couples, um, is this something that you use actually in session, or do you refer them out to take a a yoga class or a meditation class? This is. The question that Lena <laughs> and I question. really spend a lot of time thinking about and talking mm-hmm. about. You want to go for that first? Sure. So I offer a variety of ways that clients can really delve into mindfulness practice. And that could look anything like a hybrid therapeutic processing session with meditation instruction. It can look like mostly meditation instruction and mindfulness coaching. But it really is... Um, you know, it's specialized for whatever the client's needs are. So it's interesting because mindfulness is a practice in its presence. So, you know, the process of therapy itself is a mindfulness practice. 
So all therapists sitting there, you know, attuning to their clients are practicing mindfulness. So there's mm-hmm. kind of that informal practice, but then there's the formal practice of teaching about what mindfulness is, how it can help, and really the, you know, the formal sitting practice of meditation, but also some of the auxiliary practices that can be transformative as well. So I do offer a lot of that through my work and through my business, but I do, you know, recommend that clients explore perhaps going on their own retreat or perhaps going to take an MBSR course. Um, Can you tell me what's MBSR? MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. So that's John Kabat-Zinn's program. So going back to what Alice Mm -hmm. said at the beginning. So that is, you know, in a nutshell, what it can look like Mm -hmm. when a client comes in the door, if they're open to learning some of these practices more directly. Right. And here's an example of of literal how it would happen. And Lena's absolutely right. We are manifesting it and Mm -hmm. doing it all the time just by being present with our clients. Um, The way we might talk about coping skills might start to weave in a lot of the mindfulness-based philosophy like compassion, Mm -hmm. um, non-judging yourself, you know, giving yourself a break. So there are those layers of it. But a direct thing would be, for example, um, if you have a client who has a lot of trauma and they come in and as you're talking you start to notice they're getting dysregulated, um, you know, I do this all the time. We'll stop, notice that you're being dysreg- that dysregulation is happening. So they might be looking anxious or they might be moving their leg a lot, mm-hmm. moving their arms, bouncing, they're bouncing, breathing fast. Um, they're breathing fast, they might be flipping their hand, mm-hmm. they might be um, looking away. Um, and you, through your work with them, you all have have started to n- cultivate an understanding of what those signs are, so you both know when they're happening. Mm-hmm. And so just last week, that was starting to happen with somebody, and so we stopped and we shifted, which is sort of an important thing, and we started to do um, some pranayama, which, which is some breath work. And we did what they call ujjayi breath or ocean breath, which is a very calming breath that has a sound to it because sound can also be grounding uh-huh. and soothing. So that's an example of using it right there in the practice, two minutes of that, and then we shift it back into the work. And move right on. Yeah. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about mindfulness and some of the techniques to help you manage your moods and your feelings. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and in studio today I have with me Lena Franklin. And if you're interested in learning more about her work and um, her office practice, we're going to have all day of different practices, uh, you can check out her website at www.lena, that's spelled L-E-N-A, Franklin, F-R-A-N-K-L-I-N, dot com. They're laughing at me. I am dyslexic, and I say numbers, letters backwards. I always have to stop and think, did I just do that right? Anyway, sorry, lenafranklin.com. Her phone number is 404-550-8422. That's 404-550-8422. And we have Alice Wellens, who her practice is also in Atlanta, and her web um, address is www.alice with a Y, A L Y C E, Wellens, W E L L O N S dot com. And her office number is 404 664 3110. Again, that's 404 664 3110. Now, please get a paper and pencil um, if you don't have it already, and we will give these. Um, uh, websites and phone numbers again uh, at the end of the uh, next session, section. So thank you again for being here. And before we were talking about how you might incorporate this. So there could be a formal way where someone might go to a class or a retreat and they might learn these. But Alice, you were talking about how you noticed a patient beginning to struggle in one of your sessions and you were able to stop and and actually teach them some techniques and model for them some ways that they could self-soothe and calm down. And that's what Lena and I are really interested in and focused on right now is how to, because, you know, yoga, mindfulness, it's, it's the buzz right now. You hear it everywhere. Right. You see it everywhere. I mean, even in, you know, Fortune 500 magazine and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really everywhere. But for for therapists and clinicians and and people in the field, there's really this sense of how to use it in the setting that you're in. 
so the how, when to use it, when mm-hmm. is it appropriate, and why is it that we're wanting to use it. So really, that's a really great question and a good conversation because I think that's where, you know, clearly that's where all this is going. It's an integration of your central noticing your central nervous system when it's dysregulating, what to do, why that works. Um, so it's the intersection of neurobiology, spirituality, meditation, yoga. It's just this wonderful, really rich place. And Lena and I's work right now is really about um, trying to teach therapists how to use that in their practice, mm-hmm. in their clinical mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great conversation. I also want to say that these practices, um, at the very root, at the foundation of it, they strengthen the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. And so with that foundation of trust that you eventually build with your client, it can be this really beautiful uh, experiential um, session that you have with them. Just like Alice mentioned, when you are able to attune to them well enough to pick out what you're observing, then they trust you as you guide them into a practice. Yeah. So there's this beautiful reciprocal relationship between practice and relationship. Yeah. And like when we've talked about attachment theory, you know, I had to find a way to of weave it in. <laughs> um, one of the one of the bottom lines of attachment theory and at, and attachment is attunement, and it's it's the sense of feeling gotten. And when you're in a room doing that type of work, and you notice a client um, kind of starting to feel distress, and you have a way to talk to them, and then you have a way to start offering some tools right there, you you are present and aware, you're attuning, they feel gotten, and like Lena said, you share this experience, and it really deepens it, and it creates the safety, which just opens up this whole deep portal for more work. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's been in the practice of psychotherapy for a long time, especially the more psychodynamic um, uh, kind of ways you practice is you just feel the limitations of mm-hmm. therapy. Absolutely. Yes. yes. In the room. And so this is a way for me that has maintained the integrity of doing psychotherapy but deepening the work mm-hmm. that's evidence-based, that's theoretically based, and that's meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. I think especially for folks who struggle with the disease of addiction. Yes. Because one of my experiences, and I was thinking as you were talking, Lena, that they often don't know they're out of control or they're getting out of control until they are. They don't recognize early when they might be able to intervene and do something differently. Yeah. They don't they don't know the signs. They're so detached from their body. So as a therapist, as um a person working with the person, mm-hmm. uh, it is very helpful to be able to stop and mm-hmm. to point out, this is what I'm seeing. When you start to become anxious or when you start to be fearful or start to have a craving, this is how you look. This is how you sit. And in being able to point that out earlier and earlier, again, allows them to be able to intervene sooner. So the power of this, again, is not only the therapeutic bond, but it's also teaching them Mm -hmm. about their own reaction and their own distress that they are often totally unaware of. Right, because 
they have they disconnect from their body mm-hmm. and their emotional self. And so a lot of times, depending on where the client is in their process of addiction and recovery, the minute you ask the question, well, where do you feel that in your body? You know, that's, that's the, that can be the very mm-hmm. first question. And you'll oftentimes see a person who hasn't done this work yet, they're, they're startled, they're mm-hmm. confused because that disconnect mm-hmm. is just so big. And that then begins the work just from right there. But like you said, also with addiction, a lot of what people are trying to do is they're trying to soothe yes. something. Yes. So they've just, you know, they just have these other factors that, that created this, you know, long road that they've been on. Right. They're reaching for Mm -hmm. the drug, the bottle, the behavior Mm -hmm. that will bring them that instant soothing. Right. And they have no idea how they're going to manage without that, and they have no idea that there even is a way to manage. And so teaching them, or at at the very, very first, providing some information to them, like there are other, you are hurting, you Mm -hmm. are doing this because you are hurting, which is, again, no shame. And I have some other ideas that I think we can use to help you learn to notice when you need soothing and start to teach you to soothe yourself. Um, one of the primary components of the type of meditation that Lena and I do is um, around compassion, mm-hmm. self-compassion and loving kindness. So just, you know, start. They've been in shame and self-hatred and self-loathing for so long with their disease that starting to introduce that in, you'll often just see this. Mm-hmm. This just softening, softening and mm-hmm. breaking open because they've been disconnected from that soft part of themselves for so long. And then, of course, whatever, you know, was underneath mm-hmm. their their story that's underneath it. So what would that look like? How would you do a compassion meditation with someone? That's a great question. So there are various ways to do it. Um, I mean, I ask clients right in the moment, especially if we have a good relationship, are you open to mm-hmm. dropping in and practicing a compassion meditation for 5, 10, 15 minutes? And many times they say yes. So then I just bring them into a seated position, comfortable in the spine, making sure that their back is comfortable, and we go in and I guide them into tapping into their heart space, the heart chakra right here at the center, the space where we give and receive love and compassion for ourselves and others. And we use imagery. So bhavana is a yoga tenant mm-hmm. and bhavana is a peaceful image. It's an image that elicits feelings of love and gentleness and compassion. And so I personally in my practice use a lot of images of, you know, using maybe a picture of their child in their mind or a picture of themselves as a child. So really eliciting the inner resources in mm-hmm. order to, to cultivate compassion in the heart space. And then that's when they shift into that parasympathetic dominant system, the nervous mm-hmm. system, the rest and relaxation system. Mm-hmm. So it's very experiential, um, and that's the way it looks in my practice. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in a place where you feel comfortable going into a 5, 10, or 15-minute meditation practice. Lena is very, that's she's really good at that and can just kind of go right there. One starting point might be to just ask them to put their hand on their heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can just stop there and just talk about what that feels like. You could deepen it but then by talking about the heart chakra, which is actually over here, and what that is in the body. There's a color attached to it. Um, you could also then, there's a sound attached to each chakra. So you could show them the sound and the two of you could make the sound together. 
So there are some small ways to do it um, around doing mindfulness, mm-hmm. just having placing a loving, loving, kind hand on the body just to start to get them to make those connections mm-hmm. and have the felt experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we can talk all day long. Right. It's a practice. <laughs> <laughs> practice yes. means doing something, doing. right? Not yes. just sitting there absorbing. Right. How often have you planned to meditate, but you ha- you let your to-do list just keep <laughs> taking you away? Oh, I've got to put the laundry in. Oh. I've got to walk the dog. I've got to run to the grocery store. Any, We avoid that cushion. It's, it's right. We circle around it yeah. hundreds of times right. before we actually sit down. Before we jump yeah. in the pool. And as Tara Brock says, the way to practice is to have your tush on the cush. Yes. <laughs> yes. I like that. I like that. But I think these kinds of simple... Um, and yet very powerful ways of helping a patient learn to, to do for themselves what they haven't been able to mm-hmm. in the moment is really so important for people. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take special equipment or lighting or anything. It, you can do it right there. That's right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about mindfulness practices and how that can help you with your addiction or other psychological issues. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. I hope you all are enjoying the show as much as I am being here with Alice Wellens and Lena Franklin. So happy that you guys are here and talking about this very practical and yet powerful way to help patients move through difficult times and help them learn skills to take care of themselves and to self-soothe. So an important question that came up over the break was when in the process of working with someone might you introduce these things, particularly someone with addiction? Is this something you would start right away or is this once you've built more of a relationship that you would introduce it? Yeah. Um. It really depends, I think. Um, if I have a, a long relationship with somebody and they, we have a safe container set up and we understand each other's kind of philosophies and boundaries, um, then, and they, and they had a relapse and they were in a relapse, but they were still coming to therapy, um, th- we might, you, use some of these, continue to use some of these, strengthen up some of these. If I had a brand new client who came in who was in act full-blown active addiction, um, I might not start using some of these right then, but I would probably start talking about some of these. Mm-hmm. I like to talk to clients about um, options that they have for their recovery so we can start to collaborate together. What do you feel like would be most helpful to help you treat your condition? And, you know, sometimes that leads to some type of recovery and sometimes it's a very long road before yes. they get there. Um, so it can really it can really depend, but holding hope for somebody who's in the the throes of the darkest part of the disease, I just sort of see myself as the little light of hope saying, you, it's a dark, dark place right now, but I have hope and I have possibilities and I know a really good psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you just stay with this, we can, we can get somewhere. And so that's kind of a spectrum of how I might use it. I don't know if you have any... I loved what you said about holding the light, Alice, because that is a mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. in itself. Even if you're not explicitly teaching mindfulness Mm -hmm. in the session or using these skills with a client, it is, and we'll kind of get into this later, but it is your practice that allows you to assess the readiness of the client in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I also will use it with couples who, where there might be somebody who is in active addiction mm-hmm. and they're coming in. And the, of course, the, the, the couple system is very dysregulated and it's very terrified because if the couple loves each other and they're attached to each other, then they are very, um, they're very, um, it's it's terrifying right. that to to not have that connection and to not and to feel out of control, mm-hmm. and so helping them use some of these techniques to help regulate the system or help maybe the non addicted partner start to learn some coping mm-hmm. skills around how they can regulate themselves in the midst of a very horrifying period of time. Mm-hmm. So that might be another way um, that it might show up in active addiction. Now, recovery is a whole other yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you know, we, we, we can use, we can use the meditation, we can use yoga, we can use all of those things when somebody's stabilized and, mm-hmm. and open and feeling better and, you know, on time for their sessions. You know, everything <laughs> just changes and there's just more expansiveness all the way right. around. And if they're working a program of some sort, particularly a 12 step program, then, that adjunct is really good. Therapy is a good adjunct for that, and 12 Steps is a good adjunct for therapy because they're already being introduced to spirituality, mm-hmm. gratitude, um, and things like um, the companionship of the, the fellowship. So these dimensions are already, they're hearing this everywhere they go. And to have something that they can actually physically do, mm-hmm. I think, in early recovery, mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard for them to think of I'm going to meditate. Right. <laughs> it's hard for me to think I'm going to meditate. But someone who can't even hardly sit still, um, that makes it much more difficult for them to wrap their head around it. But if you can show them some of these yeah. things mm-hmm. in real time that they can do, yeah. it may not be their ultimate uh, practice or the place that they end up, but they can start somewhere. Well, and the very first thing is awareness. As as John Kabat-Zinn says, mindfulness is awareness. So even if you are just sitting with a client and you're talking about, I have an awareness that you, you seem really anxious by the fact that you're fidgeting, you're moving around, you're kind of jumping around with your thoughts. Do you feel anxious? What do you notice? That's just a mindfulness mm-hmm. exchange. Um, so that can just be the way. And a lot of times clients want to meditate, but they just aren't yet. Yeah. Right. So I'll pull out a mat and two cushions, and we'll just sit down and we'll right. do at, uh, anywhere from a one-minute-on um, meditation. And they really like that. Mm-hmm. And I do, too. Mm-hmm. It's a nice shared experience. And that's where the non-judgment piece is so imperative you know starting where they're at and it could be 30 seconds of belly breathing while you're sitting on the cushion it could be you know 30 seconds of a mudra and a mudra is a yogic hand posture so that's accessible in the moment with your client and at the foundation i really feel um and that's this is mindfulness and the tenets of mindfulness that it's about helping and guiding your client transform their relationship with suffering. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when something arises, a depressive feeling, a wave of anxiety, a sense of loneliness that could could trigger craving and substance use, they are able to become aware of that feeling and then intervene with a very adaptive and healthy skill using their their techniques. Right. It it changes their relationship with whatever the feeling is that's causing the craving, mm-hmm. the discomfort. I um, mean, it gives them somewhere else to go. And that starts to go into neural networks in mm-hmm. the brain. You know, mm-hmm. that pleasure-reward neural network is very strong. So a lot of times there's no other neural network strong enough for them. to. Their brain doesn't have another experience to go towards. So even if you have a one-minute sitting on the cushion, belly breathing or stair-step breath or ocean breathing, the brain starts to create a neural network Mm -hmm. right then Mm -hmm. and there. And even explaining that to them is just part of giving them um, information, again, shame reduction, and having the experience of doing something different. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, because their addiction has been, for most of them, a long-time mm-hmm. process, and mm-hmm. they have got a not a network. They've got a cable, yeah. a steel-reinforced yes. cable from this thought, this feeling, this action, mm-hmm. and it's their default mode mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and they don't realize. It's not even <laughs> conscious. They, there's no choices. There's what's the Viktor Frankl quote in the so in between, the moment between between stimulus and response. There's space. In that space is your freedom. Freedom to yeah. choose your response. That's what we're talking yeah. about yeah, right. right here. And so to begin to create alternative mm-hmm. routes mm-hmm. and alternative ways mm-hmm. to help cope with the immediate situation or the thought or the craving or whatever it it's a real helpful thing it's going to take some work Mm -hmm. but if they can at least see it's possible right then that goes back to the hope that you were talking about right which is just you know one of the cornerstones of the whole Mm -hmm. process that we all hold hope um for our clients when they're not holding it or able to and for for ourselves and each other and the world because you know the whole philosophy is we are all connected and we're all in this together we're not alone our suffering wants us to feel like we're alone and that's another component Mm -hmm. lena and i are starting a group um, next wednesday a year-long group and um, part of what is really powerful about that group is that um, there's this sense of coming together to share a journey, mm-hmm. you know, that we are not alone. We are coming together. We're journeying together. Well, so is that for patients? Is that for therapists? Is that It's who's, for clients. Who's for, who's yes. it for? It's for? Can I sign up? <laughs> it's for, I want to sign up. <laughs> I, I want to take a group. <laughs> yeah, it's a year-long group, and um, it's going to meet the first Wednesday of the month from August to August. And um, we're full, but we are open to a waiting list, and we are talking about the possibility of some other options um, but it's it's a way to help people who have done what we've been talking about they've mm-hmm. done talk therapy they've done their work in recovery and now they're ready to bring their body into it and, and mm-hmm. you know get the um, the deepening of the connection and information from their body mm-hmm. so we're going to have a group therapy process doing group therapy things um, as well as um, meditations and held poses and breath work and talking to them while they're doing that around, mm-hmm. you know, deepening their presence with themselves. Really a space to deepen their bottom-up emotion regulation skills yeah. through yoga, lots of experiential breathing, yoga techniques, different meditations, um, cultivation, cultivating compassion. So it's, it's an experiential group therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that will be really so helpful. I'm yeah. so happy to hear about that. Yeah. And it's it's I think that's where it's all going, you know, and mm-hmm. it's a, again, it's a way to do it in the framework of what people feel comfortable in in the boundaries of psychotherapy, but deepening it and broadening it, you know. I think a lot of people will sign up for a yoga class or even mm-hmm. go for a mm-hmm. retreat. The the problem when I look on a schedule for someone who's in addiction treatment center, and there's yoga, there's a yoga class and a meditation class. The difficulty for me is, I think, what you are doing, which mm-hmm. is how does that work back to managing my addiction? Right. It, mm-hmm. Is yoga just a nice place to exercise and to stretch, and is meditation just a nice place to kind of have a nap? Right. Um, how does that work to help me 
And I think that's been the disconnect for so many years. It's been recognized these are important things and skills, but nobody tells them when or how or why, which is the title of our mm-hmm. our, um, our show today, to use them. So what you're yeah, doing yeah. is not only the group therapy, how are you, where are you, what are you working on, but this is some ways in which you can expand the work that you're doing and contain the feelings that are uncomfortable for you. Mm-hmm. I love that you're that's, doing that. You're exa- yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. That's exactly where we are aligned in. We had an email exchange this weekend about we both were like, this is our life's work. I mean, <laughs> we really, and I think Lena yeah. can talk some about, about that as well, but we really feel like this is... This is the integration. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the point of, and it's the best point. You know, it's just this beautiful, connected piece. And um, so we're excited. Very excited. And, you know, going back to what Alice said about our life's work, it truly feels that way. Um, I was introduced to meditation when I was very young. Um, I grew up in a hybrid Christian Buddhist household, and from there um, I really learned yoga and was thrust into utilizing yoga and mindfulness as a modality for brain change. So that's very much the foundation of the work that we share. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about individual work and healing the healer. So please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website 
located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I have today in studio Lena Franklin. If you're interested in learning more about her practice here in Atlanta, go to her website, www.lenafranklin.com, or you can call her at 404-550-8422. 404-550-8422 and also Alice Wellens. Uh, you can find out about her on her website at www.alicewellens A-L-Y-C-E W-E-L-L-O-N-S dot com and her number is 404-664-3110 404-664-3110 and you can certainly find more information about the groups that they are doing and some of the interesting work that they're doing as well with therapists and um healers in the community who are interested in learning ways to bridge that gap between understanding that some of these mindfulness practices are very helpful, but how, when, and why? (laughs) And that is um, the question of the day. So right before the the break, you were Mm -hmm. telling us a little bit about your early introduction. So what was that like for you, and how did that help you Mm -hmm. grow and develop and have this interest? So I like to say it really planted a seed. We never called it mindfulness when I was in the temple, Buddhist temple with my mom and surrounded by monks, but it really was the resonance, the vibration of a present lifestyle, a mindfulness lifestyle without actually explicitly using the term mindfulness. So it really planted a seed for me. And as I transitioned into the clinical realm, I started practicing yoga, and yoga was my portal into solidifying a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. But it was always there. It was just dormant, and it has grown over time. And now what's so exciting is that neuroscience is really Mm -hmm. catching up with what yogis have known for thousands of years, really solidifying and validating the powers, the healing powers of these Mm -hmm. yoga practices and these mindfulness-based techniques that therapists can use with their clients. And let's let's talk about that yeah. for a quick second. Absolutely, um, yoga. So we've been talking about the mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick about yoga. So one way I might use yoga. First of all, I think the word. I think people they automatically have That's some type of reaction if to. They do. Mm-hmm. And so, just naming that. Okay. Observe the reaction. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So how might you use that in a psychotherapy, traditional psychotherapy, you know, couch, chair office? So as Lena mentioned earlier, there's one type of branch of yoga. They're mudras, which are yogic hand gestures. And so if somebody is trying to learn to control their emotional regulation um, or to manage their emotional regulation, you might use a mudra, which is if you have their hands down on their legs, palms down. That's mm-hmm. a way of grounding. Mm-hmm. Palms up is a way of receiving. So that's a way they can use that right then and there. Like I'm kind of open. Mm-hmm. I'm needing to ground by having my hands down. 
Um, so, you know, that like that's just one very simple mm-hmm. one. And again, what it cues them to is starting to notice when they're needing right. mm-hmm. to use that. So important. And how do they know that? By what's going on in their central nervous system. So it's all mm-hmm. connected. Um, another yoga pose that you could use right there in your office um, is, well, depending on how much you want to go, but you could easily have a client just get, lay on the floor if they wanted to um, and do um, like a child's pose mm-hmm. or legs up the wall or heart opener. All of those I have done in my office. And the way that I usually kind of try to work with that is I'll I'll laugh about it. You know, like, okay, mm-hmm. here we go, you know, and just sort of ease that transition. And then just talking about what's what's going on, what's, what is, you know, being mm-hmm. brought up. Um, so those might be some really easy ways to start to use yoga. But pranayama, breath work, is a part of yoga. Mm-hmm. So if you're teaching a client just to start to notice their breath or regulate mm-hmm. their breath, you're practicing yoga with your clients mm-hmm. already. Right. So that's really that's really important. Mm-hmm. When I do lab work on, on patients, and one of the things I'm always very concerned about is their cortisol level, mm-hmm. their stress hormone. And sure enough, the vast majority of my patients and, frankly, their families have very elevated cortisol, which long-term can lead to serious things like hypertension, uh, elevated blood sugar, diabetes, thyroid issues. Lots of things go screwball when your cortisol is too high. So one of the things that I will do with them is I'll show them the lab and I'll show them the, the daily cycle of cortisol cortisol and what it's doing and talk about the need to be on a schedule, mm-hmm. bed at the same time, up at the same time, eat at the same time, exercise same time so that we can get your sleep-wake cycle regulated because with out-of-control cortisol, that's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And we talk about their need to maybe take adaptogens, adaptogenic herbs mm-hmm. that can help lower cortisol or manage it and then I talk about yoga poses Mm -hmm. that to do the first thing that they wake up Mm -hmm. and I'll draw little stick figures Mm -hmm. if we don't have room or I've got on a draft (laughs) which you usually do which I usually do um, so that they will know, and I'll talk to them about your sympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system. Your fight-or-flight nervous system is in high gear with this high cortisol. That's right. Mm-hmm. We need to get the rest and digest, the parasympathetic that you mentioned a few minutes ago, Lena. Uh, we need to invoke that. And so if you think about if the tiger's chasing you, mm-hmm. this is a position you would not be in, the down dog. You mm-hmm. would not have your bum in the air and your head mm-hmm. dangled down. You can't do that. You wouldn't have legs legs up the wall. You're laying flat on your back with your legs straight up the wall. Those are not positions you would be in if you were in danger. And so think about it in that way. I'm letting my parasympathetic nervous system rule my day rather than Mm -hmm. my fight or flight. Right. So even in a medical setting, it is very important to be able to help them understand what's going on and what they can do about it. Yeah. It's so helpful. And it doesn't take a lot of time and most of them when I say you can do this in five minutes yeah right yeah it and doesn't it, take a lot of time at all and something that I will say to my clients is first thing in the morning before your feet hit the floor because when we wake up our eyes open and we are in our to-do list for the day already mm-hmm. so cortisol is flowing already very high so highest in the morning highest in the morning so before your feet hit the floor 
Repeat an intention five times. Use sankalpa. Sankalpa is in, is intention in Sanskrit. So whether that's balance or peace or joy, I am joy. I am joy. Five times before your feet hit the floor, it combats that initial cortisol surge. Mm-hmm. And that's a yoga practice yeah. without much movement. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then you can also add on to that a breath of joy mm-hmm. or stair-step breath, you know, as they're walking into the bathroom or something. Like, you can you can really start to add to that. But I, um, I love what you talked about around, I- even in a medical office, because what we're trying to do is help people learn to regulate their central mm-hmm. nervous system and the disease of addiction is all about the central mm-hmm. nervous system yes, right. yes. you know it lives in the limbic system um, if you're doing the little hand model of the brain Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain you know 200 million years old 300 million years old and that's where addiction lives our prefrontal cortex is where all this stuff lives mm-hmm. and so we're always trying to make sure that we're online in our prefrontal cortex so it really it all connects mm-hmm. together. And um, I know one of the things we wanted to talk about was one of the most important things is the importance of us doing our own work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is very important um, for us to have um, our own ability throughout the day to regulate our emotions and to um, to take care of our, our own health and our physical and, and spiritual strength. Yeah. As we were talking about earlier when we were talking about how to use this with a client in the office, the first thing is that we as a therapist mm-hmm. or a physician are aware that our client has something going on with mm-hmm. them. That awareness comes from presence, as mm-hmm. Lena said, and presence comes from this work. Mm-hmm. So the more we do this work, the more we do our own work, the more presence we bring, the more healing is possible. You know, that old saying, you can only take your client as far as you've gone yourself. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that <laughs> that's not, you know. But um, us doing our own work brings so much more presence into mm-hmm. the room, which is where it all kind of begins. Lena and I are doing a training in October for therapists, teaching them how to use these modalities in their clinical practice. And the name of the uh, workshop is Integrated Presence. Mm -hmm. That word just kept coming back to us over and over again. And if therapists are interested, how would they learn more or be able to sign up for Mm -hmm. that workshop? So really quickly, it's um, Saturday, October the 8th. It's from 10 to 8 at the Inn at Serenby, and they can contact Lena or I on our websites, which you've given all the information for, um, and it's eight CEUs with the wonderful farm-to-table lunch included for the day. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we encourage all therapists and patients who are interested to please check out the websites, and we thank both of you for being here today, and we'll see you all next week on Detailing Addiction. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Thanks for having us. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.